0: Lord, we we thank you so much for the preached word. And we thank you for men like Terry that commit everything that they have and are um, to preaching it well. We ask for your people to be fed today to your glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, so uh, while you're turning to Acts chapter 20, because that's where we're going to put in today, I want to tell you, uh, I, well, I can't tell you how great it is to look out in these chairs and see people. Uh, the last, what, eight or nine weeks, we've been preaching and speaking to a very cold red light <laughs> right about there. And I'm so glad that that red light's gone and that you're here. So that's good. Yeah, so yeah, so we're going to put in, in Acts chapter 20 and begin. And, and where we begin is where the dust was just settling on a riot in the city of Ephesus. Uh, It was brought about by a silversmith, a guy that was an idol maker that didn't like the gospel that Paul was preaching because he thought it was going to get into their business. And so there was a citywide riot. So if you can imagine Ephesus, a town about the size of Eugene. Okay, we've seen lots of riots on TV lately, right? And we, and we, we recoil from those things. We go, oh my gosh but that was his life. I mean, where he went and preached almost all the time there was a riot, but in this riot, he was actually uh, whisked away by the disciples uh, to get away because they just thought it was going to be too dangerous for him to be there. And then in a miraculous act of God through a, a, a town clerk, the, uh, the riot was quelled. And so we pick up Right after, the, right after this riot. Now, this is Paul's third missionary journey. It's his last one. He was headed back to Jerusalem. So all of Paul's missionary life, per se, was now behind him. And he was headed back to Jerusalem. He wanted to go to Jerusalem for some reasons we'll get into later. But he also wanted to go to Rome because, you know, as a gospel preacher... Uh, Paul had preached all over uh, you know, per- parts of Asia and uh, southern parts of Europe and, and things like that, but he really wanted to go to the Big Apple. He wanted to go to the epicenter of the world, which was Rome, and preach the gospel. Well, he finally did, but... He did it as a prisoner, because you see, as Paul was on his way back now to Jerusalem, or shortly going to be on his way back to Jerusalem, after his third missionary journey, what we're going to find out is that he was going to be a prisoner for the rest of his life. Whatever life was left, whatever time was left for Paul, he was going to be a prisoner. Now, in this passage, and and in some others we're going to look at today, you know, it, it just emerges from a life some patterns, right? Of ministry, patterns of, of of just life that we can look at and, and, and see about Paul. But but so this doesn't become a sermon like, okay, this is ten habits of highly successful people, or do it like this, or do it like that. All I want us to look at today are some patterns that emerge from emerges from Paul's life um, that are ways that God caused the gospel to resonate from Paul to everybody around him. And they are, they are patterns. So let's read uh, verse, just verses 1 and 2 to begin with. I want you to keep your finger in the Bible because we're going to be going back there frequently. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 20, it says this, After the uproar, that's the riot, After the uproar, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions, he had given them much encouragement. He came to Greece. See that word there twice? He called the disciples from Ephesus and encouraged them. Then he went through Macedonia, and it talks about afterwards. So it was kind of like whatever Paul was going to do afterwards, he did the encouraging first. In other words, it was deliberate. I mean, he wanted to get back to Jerusalem. He wanted to see Rome. He wanted to preach in Rome. But this became a priority in his life. And we see, too, from other things in Paul's life, other instances, I mean, that this was a pattern of, of, of going back and, and preaching in areas that he'd been. In Acts 14.22, it says that he went, um, after preaching the gospel in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, he returned through those same cities, strengthening We're encouraging the souls of the disciples. And we see it again in uh, Acts 18.22 on his way back to Jerusalem after missionary journey number two. It says Paul went from one place to the next. That sounds systematic, doesn't it? He just went one place to the next. In Phrygia and Galatia, strengthening the disciples. Paul's life was a pattern of encouragement. What is gospel encouragement? Let's answer first what it's not, okay? What it's not is a lot of psychological baby food that sometimes you hear today. Sometimes you even hear Christian Sam. It's not like, it's, it, gospel encouragement is not assurances like, oh, well, <clears throat> things are going to get better, they may get worse. Job said this he said when i expected good i thought things were going to get better says job says when i expected good then evil came i waited for light and then darkness so it's not that gospel encouragement is not hey you can do it because those of us that have been christians very long at all understand that god often deliberately uh frustratingly sometimes puts things in our lives to show us that in fact we can't do it. Here's another one. Well, you know, others have it so much worse. That might be true, but that's not biblical encouragement. Because gospel encouragement focuses on what we know to be true about God not what we wish to be true about ourselves and our circumstances. Let me say that again. Gospel encouragement always focuses on what we know to be true about God, not what we wish to be true about ourselves and our circumstances. In Hebrews 6.18, it says this regarding the the promise that uh, uh, God uh, gave to Abraham. He says, you know, God gave Abraham a promise and an oath, so that by two things that are about God, that are true about God, it says so that we might have strong encouragement. So gospel encouragement comes from a truth about God. I had a friend that used to say all the time, well, a Christian friend, guy I know for a long time, he'd say, well, every time we were leaving or something like that, well, keep the good thoughts. Really? As if that's going to make a difference, keeping the good thoughts? You see, gospel encouragement doesn't really minimize a difficult situation that we might be in, but it maximizes God's strength. You see that? It doesn't minimize and say, hey, it's no big deal. Hey, you're going to get through it. Hey, tomorrow will be better or anything like it. It doesn't do that. But it maximizes God's strength and emphasizes God's strength. That's gospel encouragement. You know, (laughs) Uh, Paul, you know, at Lystra, you know, this guy was stoned and he was drugged out of town for dead. And we got up. He didn't. Cheer, he didn't say, "Oh, okay, guys, cheer up. It's going to be better. It's all going to be better." You know what he said was, and the Bible says that he was encouraging the disciples with these remarks. Here's what he said. He said, "Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God." It's truth. Gospel truth. What is gospel encouragement? It's always based on the gospel work of Jesus. Always. That's what gospel encouragement is. You know, in Hebrews 10, there's... I mean, and this is all over our Bibles. But in Hebrews 10, 19, I like this... Pick out this word. It says, therefore, brethren, since... Okay? There's a reason. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus... And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us hold fast our confession of hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. Do you see that? It's because of what Jesus has done that we have hope. That's the thing to point to. That's the thing to, cl- uh, to cling to. That's the thing that gospel encouragement pushes us toward. You know, one man said, When you look at others, expect to be disappointed. When you look at yourself, expect to be disheartened. And when you look at Christ, expect to be encouraged. You've heard it said we should preach the gospel to ourselves. And that's true. But you know what? We need to be preaching it to one another preaching that gospel to one another, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in difficult times. Yeah, because we're all in, in, in a struggle, right? And, and, and I want to tell you just a little story really quickly about a man that I've known for 34 years. As a matter of fact, he and his wife came over and spent the weekend with us uh, over Memorial Day weekend. I don't know, was that okay? Are we supposed to do that? Anyway, we did, okay? <laughs> I've known this guy for a long time, but I met him in the first day that I met him, He was preaching. I actually was sitting on the stairs outside the room because my son and I got there late. We just moved up to Portland. We're looking for a church to go to. And I sat in the stairs. Door was closed. The meeting was already going on. I heard this guy preach. And man, it was gospel. It was good. I mean, it was just great. After that, there was a church business meeting. I didn't know there was going to be one. But anyway, there were some people in that business meeting that just ripped him up one side and down the other about this thing and that thing and the other thing. And according to his story, he walked out of that room up those same stairs that I was sitting on or had been sitting on and was done. He was going to be done with the ministry. And uh, he tells this story every time I see him, which is about once, maybe twice a year now. I don't know why, but but it's just the power of encouragement, right? So, so he told me he said I was ready to quit, and so I didn't know this guy, but I'd heard him preach. I kind of saw what was going on the dynamic of the church, and I, and I came up to him and I don't know this guy, right? So I grabbed him by the shoulders as he was walking out, and I turned him around and I looked in his face, and I said, "You preach the gospel. You hang in there." Four words. You hang in there. And he's told me over and over and over again through the years how that word of encouragement about the gospel kept him on. He went on to do some pretty uh, pretty good things, you know, in his ministry. Um, so how can you tell if a Christian needs encouragement? Take a note. How can you tell if a Christian needs encouragement? If he's breathing, (laughs) just know that there are no full tanks out there. Every Christian you see, their low fuel light is on, needing encouragement. Why is that? Because every Christian you encounter uh, is just like the rest of us. We're all assigned to a dark sin saturated world struggling with sin infected natures and under constant assault from the world the flesh and the devil everybody's in that same boat all the time and sometimes we just kind of blow through life and don't really recognize it but i want you to know that paul was deliberate about it he set out to do this because he knew that it was important And though it's hard to see sometimes, most most Christians, if you look closely, their need to be encouraged light is blinking. There's nine, count them, nine commands, commands, imperatives, orders, directive, directives, commandments in the New Testament for Christians to encourage one another. Nine for us to do that. Here's just one. First Thessalonians doesn't get any simpler than this. Encourage one another and build each other up. Many more I could say. Number one, there was a pattern of gospel, gospel encouragement. Number two, there was a pattern of gospel engagement. And by engagement, I don't mean like Brent's daughter. I mean, uh, I mean gospel engaging And Paul was engaging people. Let's look in, in verse three of the same chapter. So, after he was in Greece, it says, there he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he did decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus. If you don't have anything to be thankful for today, be thankful that your name isn't Sopater or uh, Secundus. Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians... Tychicus and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Now, for a reason that I will explain later, I want us to jump down and look at verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost. Well, there's a pattern again. Paul's got a whole bunch of people with him. But this isn't the only time if we look through the New Testament, you'll remember that Paul had Barnabas with him at times and Mark with him and Silas with him and Timothy with him and Titus and Priscilla and Aquila. And you could just go on and on and on because he always was engaging other people with him in his gospel work. Well, all of these, uh, Names that we see there in verse 4. Who were these band of brothers, so to speak? Who were these guys and where did they come from? Well, a lot of them, it tells you where they come from. But let's just summarize it this way and say that, that uh, they were literally a couple of people from pretty much every region where Paul had preached and planted churches. They were Gentile Christians converted through Paul's gospel ministry. And Paul was bringing with them a gift from those churches that they came from. He was bringing them to Jerusalem. Now, we know that because he wrote of his plans uh, in Romans 15. He says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, that's where those, the majority of those people are from, Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Well, why were they with them? Well, there could be a number of reasons. It could be just, you know, with traveling with a large sum of money, it's a good idea to have more than one person. That could be it. That'd be a wise reason. It could be just for above-board accountability. But I think Paul had a a more far-reaching plan, but we'll get to that in a moment. Paul engaged them. He didn't bring the gift from them. He didn't bring the gift for them. He brought them with the gift. He wanted them to experience the joy and the glory of gospel service. Now, that's important because there's too many Christians around all of us that have their motor running, but their transmission's in neutral or park. Now, to bring this close to home, Nancy and I were, uh, I was thinking about this the other night, Nancy and I were 23. Yes, there was a time when we were 23. (laughs) A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? So anyway, uh, so Nancy had just been saved, and I was very, very immature as as a Christian, probably even more immature than now. Uh, and, and this couple from this church, this, this 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 guy that was, they were older. They were like thirty, you know, and uh, and and they 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 kind of kind of took us under their wing, and they said, hey, why don't you guys start a Bible study in your house? I'm like, a what? A Bible study in your house? Well, who's going to lead it? Well, how about you? Me? And I said, so how is that going to happen? And they said, well, we've got these tapes of. Uh, Yes, there were tapes, right? Actually, actually, we did this on a reel-to-reel tape thing. We had to feed it through, and yes, okay, I know. So those of you that are under whatever, we can find out about that later. Anyway, so we had these tapes uh, of, a, of a Bible study that a guy was kind of teaching and leading uh, on Philippians. And so as Nancy and I sat there, and people were coming to our house, you know, and this couple came over, and they were there the couple of... You know, first couple of weeks, and we thought, hey, this is working out pretty good. And then they didn't come the third week or the fourth. And there I was. They'd just kind of given me a push start. And it was dangerous. And it was probably really bad, you know. But they engaged us in gospel ministry. And um, I don't know how many Bible studies or, Things that I've done through the years. But it was that push start that made a difference. What about you? What's your ministry? I mean, is it, is it food boxes? Is it cleaning the church? Is it doing sound ministry? What, is it, what does it take to bring somebody else along? Somebody that's as qualified to do what you do as I was to lead a Bible study. Hmm. You know, Paul could probably have managed to get that money to Jerusalem with a lot less bodies than he did, but he had a greater goal in mind. And we see that in verse 16. It says that he was hastening to be to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Now, here's what I think Paul really had in his mind and in his heart was for the Gentiles to bring a gift to the Jewish church in Jerusalem at Pentecost, which happens to be the harvest of first fruits now if we play the tape back paul was launched from israel right from from uh, antioch and from jerusalem on these missionary journeys over into gentile territory and here we are 10 or 12 years later perhaps and he's bringing back the fruit of that ministry with a gift for the jews who were poor in Jerusalem at the time of the harvest festival, at the time of first fruits. Maybe in Paul's mind, he had Isaiah 66 in mind, where Isaiah, 700 years before this, foresaw a glorious time when the preaching of God's glory to the nations would result in Gentiles coming to Jerusalem as an offering to God. says this in Isaiah 66, And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And Paul had been out doing that. Preaching the gospel, declaring God's glory. And it says, And they shall bring all your brothers from the nations as an offering to the Lord to my holy mountain, Jerusalem. Do you know what you're bringing to God when you bring somebody along? When you engage them in gospel ministry? I think in Paul's mind he had kind of a first fruits kind of thing. There they were, Jew and Gentile. the the the, the Jewish Christians had sent Paul out. the The Gentile Christians were sending, or, or were actually coming back with with a gift for the Gentiles. They were serving each other in the gospel. Jew and Gentile. I don't have time to do it. There would be a really. Uh, Interesting thing, because one of the things I think we don't ever get in our own torn society is what a racial divide there was between Jews and the rest of the world. Slurs. I mean, I don't have time to get into it, but but it was just unimaginable bigotry and racism. And our country is being torn apart by these same forces. And this picture that we see here should etch in our mind that the only solution now, as then, was the gospel. It's not a person. It's not a political persuasion. It's the gospel. So the third pattern we see is gospel reinforcement through preaching. Let's let's read uh, verses uh, 6, or uh, actually 7 through 12. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with him, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, he had broken bread and eaten. He conversed with them for a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. By the way, that word comforted there is the same word that we saw in the first two verses. It's just translated to comfort. Sometimes I think we get the wrong idea about comfort. Okay? Because, but actually, we think of physical ease, feeling pretty good, and all that kind of stuff. But actually, that's kind of morphed because the the, the word of comfort comes from uh, a, a Latin "comforte," which means with strength. It's the word that we get "fort" from. It's the word that we get "fortress" from. It's the word that we get "fortify" from. It literally means to strengthen. And if there's any feeling good if there's any uh, ease of the mind attached to it, it's because a person has been strengthened by the truth of the gospel. It's not just jump right to comfort. It's because of the gospel that we get there. I don't know exactly what Paul preached. He did it a long time. And I'm sure it was the gospel Maybe it was about what he'd written to the Romans, which had only been just a short period before that. That that deep theological, incredible gospel truth. Maybe he was talking to them about that. Or maybe he was uh, telling them about his experience in Corinth where he had said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So I don't know what Paul was preaching about. But I do know that he was preaching about the cross because that's all he ever preached about. There's a pattern here. It says they met on the first day of the week. And incidentally, that is the first, um, I guess, systematic uh, revelation we have that the church was meeting on the first day of the week, which is Sunday to break bread. There's a pattern. First day of week, the Lord's day, the Lord's people, the word of the Lord, the Lord's table. And I think here in Troas, God chose to put an exclamation point on the gospel that Paul preaches. Luke gives us all the physical details, doesn't he? He says it was midnight, there's burning lamps, you know, warm, stuffy, heavy eyes. Some of you have been there. Some of you might be there now. Eutychus fell three stories and he died. Paul paused his preaching long about midnight, went down, raised the lad, and went right back upstairs and resumed his message along with sharing the Lord's Supper. It was a tremendous miracle. It's like he goes down, raises him from the dead, goes right back up and continues on with his message. Why is this story here? Now, I want to tell you, commentators on this are all over the zip code about what we do with this. Some say, well, you know, the message here is don't go to sleep in church. (laughs) I like that one. Don't go to sleep in church. Really? You know, the text, if you, if, you, if you comb through this, you see that the text really doesn't seem to blame Eutychus because it was a long sermon. It was late at night. And, and unlike us, most likely on Sundays, they worked all day. Another commentator said, well, you know, message here is to keep your ballots so you don't fall out the window, right? Really? Some commentaries are just downright silly, but here's what I think and what I believe that the Holy Spirit has, why he's included this in the story, because Eutychus' resurrection is a cameo. It's a short film. It's a short demonstration that illustrated gospel truth. Think of it this way. A young man in a high place, in a good place, like Adam in the garden, he succumbed to his human frailties. He was tired, warm, torches taking up all the oxygen in the room, tried to get over by a window, stay awake, get some fresh air, fell asleep anyway. He succumbed to his human frailties and, and like Adam, ended up not heeding God's word. Eutychus followed like Adam's caused death and he lay three stories down, helpless and hopeless until the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus was brought to bear in his lifeless body. Paul came down, perhaps symbolizing the dissension of our savior Jesus from heaven to us. And he fell the boy it says putting his body in the place of the dead one like Jesus became our substitute Paul embraced it says the corpse to impart life like Jesus does you know any way you slice this this is an unmistakable gospel picture Eutychus was completely restored but you know remarkably Luke doesn't make a big deal of the miracle per se. Instead, the resurrection event is enfolded into the celebration of the Lord's Supper and Paul's continued preaching until dawn. You know, the message of Acts, Paul's message, the message of the gospel, the message of the Bible is that through death, through his death and resurrection, Jesus brings spiritual life to all who trust him. Now, Eutychus... For all the things that he is, he's not just some random guy. Eutychus is us. He's all of us. He's each of us. And like Eutychus, our natures have plunged us to our deaths. We're helpless and hopeless. You know, dead people can't help themselves and they have no hope of anything but being dead. But Jesus came down. He stretched out on the cross and sacrificed His body in the place of ours. He embraced us in our death so that we might live through Him. He did all the work to make dead people alive. That's the the good news. Apart from the resurrection power of Jesus, the Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins and the only thing that you have to look forward to is eternal torment. You know, when Eutychus fell asleep, he never woke up. He was dead before he knew it. And some of you think that you're sleepwalking through life, but in reality, you've already fallen to your death. And like Eutychus, you'll never wake up. But listen to this. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. I want to say that one more time. That's so beautiful, so powerful. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Will you trust Christ with your life That's the question for you. Because you know, in reality, spiritually speaking, you have no life. Spiritually speaking, you're already a dead corpse. What you receive from Christ is life. Will you believe His promise? (laughs) After this marathon preaching session, sharing the Lord's table, Witnessing the Lord's resurrection power. It says that they were not a little bit comforted. Not a little bit encouraged. You know, every Christian around you is a Eutychus. This room's full of Eutychai. (laughs) A miracle of one brought to life through faith in Jesus Christ faith in the good news that Jesus saves. Praise God for the encouragement of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that your gospel is truth that saves us. Father, it's truth that sustains us. Father, it's truth that evokes praise from our lips and thanksgiving from our hearts. All for your glory. And we just want to give you thanks, Lord, for this word today from the Apostle Paul. May, Lord, we be those who are deliberate encouragers. Those who engage others in the glory and joy of gospel service. And those, Lord, who are fixed on gospel truth and testify of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in our lives.